I'm very happy to be here at Abhayagiri Monastery once again. Uh, last time I was here about two years ago, it was in the midst of the uh, COVID pandemic. We're now in the, I think, the hopefully the latter stages. With the last time there was a series of six mini katinas, uh, six days in a row, and uh, we, all the doors were open and we're having to sit out on the breezeway and everything was a lot cooler. So it's very nice to be all gathered in a single cozy space together and to uh, have a lot more um, uh, possibility for direct uh, communication, spending time together and uh, uh, for things to be in a more um, uh, comfortable and um, accessible mode for, for everybody. Uh, earlier today at the uh, tea time there was a question about uh, not-self, uh, anatta, and so uh, I feel this is a good, uh, valuable theme for us to explore. In the, the Buddha's second teaching, the Anathalakana Sutta, where he uh, seemingly was the first occasion where he explained this say, method of... Um, understanding the nature of mind, understanding the nature of, of delusions and how to let go of them. And, uh, and that teaching was the one that first produced uh, the uh, uh, enlightened disciples. Uh, in the Dhammachaka Sutta, the very first teaching, he explained the middle way and the Four Noble Truths. And uh, that was the cause for Venerable uh, Kandanya uh, to reach the level of stream entry. But it was when he gave the second teaching the Anathalakana Sutta, the discourse on not-self, then all five of his companions in the deer park outside of Varanasi, all five of them realized arahantship uh, altogether. So it's an extremely significant teaching and one that is, uh, I, would see, I would say, is totally relevant uh, in this current age, in this time, in this place. I like to reflect upon this this sutta, this teaching uh, a lot, because um, uh, in uh, in it the Buddha describes these some of the various different kinds of what you can call selfing, and uh, uh, those of you who are familiar with the sutta, uh, probably you chant it here at Abhayagiri uh, from time to time. Uh, they. Uh, the, when uh, the words the Buddha uses to explore this, the habits of, of self-creation, the selfing uh, tendencies of the mind, uh, he, uh, he uses three different expressions. Uh, etang mama, this is mine. Eso hamasmi, this is what I am. Eso meata, this is myself. And so uh, I know in Western psychology there are many, many different kinds of selves or different dimensions of, of selfhood that are talked about, uh, but I feel this is a very good starting point um, because, what, uh, again, what was being discussed at tea time is that the teaching on anatta, it's not a, a philosophical position to attach to, that you know, I believe that there, uh, all dhammas are not self or there is no self, but rather... It's a toolkit, it's a set of, of tools in order to deconstruct the, these various habits of selfing, how we create this idea of an independent uh, 
I, an independent person. And uh, so the first one in, in that list is uh, etang mama. Mama means mine. Uh, uh, so it's a feeling of owning. Yeah, this is my robe, my sangati. This is you know, my sitting cloth. That uh, that's, this is my body. That feeling of, of I as the owner, that sense of there's a me here that can possess things, that can possess ideas and feelings, can possess material objects. That's, so that first uh, kind of a, say, psychological formation uh, that the Buddha points to is this feeling of, of ownership. Etang mama, this is mine. And then the second one, uh, eso hamasmi, as, asmi means I am. So you can, the first one is a being, is an owning self. The second one is a being self. I, that sense of of I am, that sense of, of beingness. This uh, this defined entity. This is me. <laughs> this is this is me. Uh, whatever that me might be constituted of, that uh, it's this this sense of of individual independent. Being that meanness is the second one, and then the third one I like to call the narrative self, esome uh, ata. And in the suttas, in the teachings, when it's talked, uh, it's, this is talked about. Um, uh, say the clinging atavadupadana and, and esome uh, ata. Uh, uh, Often it's talked about in terms of your philosophical belief, your sense of the ideas that you have about the the nature of the uh, of the atta, the atman, the the what a self, what the self is, and how it exists in relationship to the universe, and like a philosophical opinion. But I feel it's uh, to broaden the the, uh, the description or the definition is is more helpful. So it's when people say, "Well, who are you?" What do we do? We say, "Oh, you know, I am Ajahn Amaro." That's we we say our name. Oh, you know, and uh, uh, and where where are you from? What do you do? You know, so that that this uh, narrative self, as I like to call it, it's the work we do, our role in in the in the the world, uh, our identity as a teacher, as a doctor, as a Buddhist monastic, as a, a retired person or an unemployed person. Or, uh, a, a, a failed Buddhist, or a, a, a successful meditator, or you know, I'm a Theravadan. This kind of stories that we tell about ourselves when when we we meet each other and we are, say define what uh, what we are. So this is what you put on your business card, <laughs> what you put on your name card, the, what you put on your CV. That's all in the eso me ata, the narrative self, and just by Naming those three, those the, the, those first three that uh, the Buddha highlights in the uh, Anattalakana Sutta, there's already a lot there. I think we, that uh, we can all recognize. We think, yeah, there's that feeling of owning, of having, of possessing. Yeah, that's definitely familiar. A sense of, of identity, I am, a sense of being, of you know, I am separate, I am this en- entity, this individual, and there's other individuals in the world outside, and I am this this thing, this one, this uh, this this being here, and then our story: being a woman, being a man, being of undefined gender or many genders, uh, our age, our nationality, our, our, our 
identity in the workplace and all of these things they take on a lot of of value in our lives in our minds and i'm not uh, uh, being psychic <laughs> and not being a uh, not reading anybody's mind but this is the kind of selfing that that uh, is so easily as say established and taken to be true and real so in addition to those uh, uh, those three that are highlighted in the Anattalakana Sutta then you can uh, also uh, another kind of selfing that is very apparent or, or convincing is the choosing self like I decide yeah this is uh, uh, I, uh, uh, I I choose to go left rather than right you know i i choose to to uh, to, to move forward i choose to sit still the sense of me making a decision and then also as how the world operates how the world sees us as, as those decisions have meaning they have value in deciding to do something wholesome deciding to do something unwholesome you know the world gives that value and, and meaning and, and makes it solid so that uh, sense of, of me who decides things and is the, the one who chooses. Yeah, and I could go on. There's <laughs> many different ways. The, the, the feeling self, the one who's like, I'm hot, I'm cold, you know, I'm, I'm happy, I'm unhappy, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad, I'm, uh, I'm depressed. But uh, the uh, solidity that the mind gives to all those I am's, me's and mine's, is extraordinarily strong and convincing. And that the conditioning that is, is here, that comes from, from birth and from uh, a lifetime, is extraordinarily powerful. But uh, I think those of us gathering together for a Saturday night in the Buddhist monastery probably <laughs> are the kind of people that uh, are ready to, uh, to explore, you know, uh, there, these particular qualities, and to uh, say to look at these habits of mind in a in a different light, rather than taking these to be true. Yeah, but I I am this. I do own this. This is me. I you know I am a woman. I am a man. I am so many years old. This is my nationality. You know, I am a doctor. <laughs> I am a teacher. I am retired. Yeah. But, uh, this is my this is my body. That uh, the kind of people, uh, those of us gathered together for a Saturday night to be in a Buddhist monastery and to celebrate the Katina festival here at Abhayagiri and to spend time in each other's company in a very quiet, restrained, composed uh, way, you're ready to look at these kind of selfings and, and habits of mind in a very, very different way. So the teaching on anatta, not self, is all to do with getting perspective. Uh, on those habits of mind and working to not take them seriously to not believe in them as uh, absolute substantial realities and to to say notice which ones are, are strongest within us so it might be that um you are, the the mind isn't particularly identified with a sense of of owning in terms of possessions uh, but it's very, it's very definitely the owner of the body, or it might be that uh, yeah, the the idea of, well, say, physical death is is not uh, is not threatening or challenging, uh, but the uh, the idea of not being, the idea of this this life ending, of not being anything, 
could be terrifying. So it's uh, in the, the teachings and the, the development of insight meditation, the uh, vipassana, uh, it's, uh, and also uh, at the tea time we were talking about wise reflection, yoni so manasikara. Uh, it's a lot to do uh, with the exploring the habits of our own mind, where, the, where this mind really gets stuck, because some areas of, of selfing and attachment identification might be really easy to see through. They can be recognized very, very quickly, very directly. Oh, yeah, how could, how could anything be owned by anyone, really? And the mind lets go of it, and uh, there's no kind of no kind of stickiness. Other areas we find in our, our life is very, very deep, uh, deep attachment, and it's extremely hard to get a perspective. So it's good to know your own character. Very helpful to know your own your own nature, the conditioning of this mind, this body, this life. This is called atanyuta, one of the uh, the seven qualities of a of a well-rounded person, of a sapurisa, is atanyuta, knowing knowing this character, knowing your, your own personality, knowing knowing uh, uh, the conditioning of this uh, this being. When I, I was down in Berkeley on Tuesday, the, the, the first Tuesday of the month gathering there, um, I shared a, st- a story about uh, discovering uh, uh, some of my own strong conditioning, uh, this life, this mind, this being. And um, the, uh, the, uh, I've, probably a few of you have heard this story before and, uh, or were there in, in Berkeley, but... Uh, this came about when we were uh, replacing the roof on Chithurst House in the early days, and someone was asking about this uh, at tea time uh, the day before yesterday here. So uh, I was, I, uh, we, we were at, uh, uh, at the stage of replacing the, the, the crumbling, leaking roof on this old Victorian mansion in, uh, in the uh, southern English countryside, Chithurst House, and uh, we had professional contractors to do all the tiling, but a lot of us Sangha members were doing the kind of peripheral jobs. And I was given the job of replacing the gutters. It was very big, the house had a big complicated footprint, so many ins and outs, and uh, doing the guttering it wasn't just a, a big rectangle. <laughs> there was lots of ins and outs, and it was a complicated task. It took many weeks to, to do this. And uh, so the whole house was scaffolded, they had scaffolding all the way up to this two-story uh, house up to the roof line. And uh, after working on this for five or six weeks, I got uh, pretty familiar with climbing around uh, up and down the ladders and in and out of the scaffolding, putting the, the gutters in place bit by bit and replacing all of the old uh, cast iron ones. And uh, uh, on, uh, so on this particular day, I was um, I had to make my way down from the gutter level, the roof level down uh, to to the uh, to the ground, and uh, I, I was pretty complacent as 25, 26 years old, reckless youth, <laughs> and uh, and so I had a, a, a small spirit level, a metal spirit level that I used to measure the the, uh, the the level nature of the gutter and to make sure that the gutter was falling at the right angle, and I had this little spirit level in my my left hand, and I uh, and. If I had been careful, I would have taken that spirit level, put it in my pouch, and then 
taken hold of the scaffolding bar with my bare hand. <laughs> but I thought, oh, I don't need to bother putting it into my pouch. I'll just take hold of the scaffolding pole with the spirit level still in my hand. That'll, I'll have a good enough grip. But being metal on metal, my hand slipped around and uh, there was no grip whatsoever. And I dropped from the um, roof level down into the, uh, into the flower bed. And um, the story I was telling was that not only was it uh, uh, extraordinarily reckless and, stu and stupid to have uh, tried to put my whole body weight onto, uh, onto one hand that, uh, that didn't have much grip. Oh, I didn't realize how little grip I would have. But one of the, the, the most interesting and um, sort of embarrassing slash insightful aspects of this experience was as I was falling, it was about 30 feet from the, from the, the gutters down into the to ground level, 30 feet-ish, uh, I've never calculated it exactly, but <laughs> somewhere around that. So the thought in my mind was not worrying about breaking my back on a piece of scaffolding or getting impaled on some rebar or kind of breaking my neck as I fell into the flower bed or the rest of the sangha having to find this sort of dead monk in the flower bed. That, uh, that none of that crossed my mind. What, the only thought in my mind was, I hope no one's watching. <laughs> that, so I didn't want to be seen as an idiot, as a fool, someone who'd made a stupid mistake. So that was really revealing, that my vanity was stronger than my fear of physical death. That wow. So I was kind of lying there in the, in the flower bed, and fortunately there was a little box hedge, and box is quite... Uh, uh, small leaves and, and dense springy branches so it was like a nice cushion to land on very conveniently <laughs> so, so I had a, a soft landing uh, and didn't break anything or really bruise anything except my ego so, but, so that was really revealing I thought wow uh, your, your, uh, say your appearance in the eye your imagined appearance in the eyes of others is more important to you than being disabled, uh, 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 causing yourself painful injury, dying. Yeah. And then the other Sangha members having to tell my, my family you know, that, that, uh, my, uh, that their, their son, their brother, just died from a stupid accident, falling off the scaffolding at, uh, while replacing some gutters. Um, what was more important in my mind was that I didn't look like a fool. Um, so that ego death was far more um, challenging or, or off-putting than physical death. So that was a very revealing uh, insight, and uh, it made me uh, just look like, "Wow, you, <laughs> you're a, you're a Buddhist monk. You're a professional meditator, and selflessness is a sort of key piece of your life. But you know, this um, vanity <laughs> and the." Uh, Ego-centered thinking is, is, really, is really, really strong. So we need to look at that. So that uh, and you, uh, when you recognize there's a trait, and so each one of us, uh, maybe uh, ego-centeredness or vanity is not a big deal for you, but uh, maybe the, the, um, the idea of, of having to choose and being the one who chooses, makes decisions, that, that's what's really strong for you, or your identity with your nationality. Your profession, you know, I am a doctor. <laughs> you know, I am the boss. You know, I am, I am your father. I'm, the, you know, I'm your mother. You know, that those 
uh, our roles, our professions, our attachment to uh, our body or the fear of, of non-being, all these different areas that they can all be, uh, say, uh, all of them can be significant in our lives. So it's good to explore and see, well, what is the mind really attached to? What does it take as really being me and mine, who and what I am? Where are the areas of the weak attachment and where are the areas of, of strong attachment? Yeah, also, I was uh, reminded um, uh, ex-Sampajano, or current Sampajano, uh, saying hello and saying how he was doing some wood, woodwork up in the uh, tree work up in the forest, it reminded me of uh, one of the, the last times I was, was helping out with some work tasks here a few a number of years ago. And uh, uh, my life is very bureaucratic these days. I do a lot of talking, go to a lot of, lot of meetings, and I'm not, I don't have a very physically active lifestyle the, these days. Um, living here in Apayagiri is a, a lot of physical engagement. Just even go back to your kuti and take a nap, you have to... Unless you've got the, the, an EV to get up the hill. <laughs> you've got to climb 400 feet to go have a nap, you know. It's, uh, it's hard work, even to be lazy. <laughs> so it's a very physically engaging place, which I always thought was a, was a wonderful thing. So anyway, I had become generally kind of you know, soft and, uh, and even more incompetent physically than, than usual. And so we were doing a, uh, a bit of forest clearing. And it was up around the, the area of the, below the ordination platform and around the, where the sauna is. And we were um, clearing some wood and, and, uh, and uh, some of the, of the people were, were chopping up. Um, the, there was rounds from a, a few trees that had been cut down and sliced up. And uh, some people were, were, uh, break, uh, were chopping that up for, for firewood. And so in the process of this little work task that we were having, then um, there was a, uh, I thought, well, I, uh, I'd finished the bit of work I was doing. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, no, no one's the, uh, doing the, the uh, chopping up the, the splitting the, the rounds to make, uh, to make firewood. Okay, I can do some of that. So I, I took this, this round of, uh, of wood from one of the, the trees that had been cut down placed it on the on the block and I forget who was there as well but uh, I put it on the block and picked up the axe and there was a general sense of I, I, a general sense and maybe uh, one or two of the the Sangha members gathered around saying you sure you're okay with that axe Ajahn you know how to use that and there's a sort of this kind of grumble grumble of course I do but there was this there was that uh, that uh, ego-centered feeling I thought, okay, well, I, and also within me the sense of I, I hope I do manage this okay. But I did grow up on a farm, so I do know uh, how to handle an axe, or at least I, I, I knew that I used to know. <laughs> so I, I uh, carefully uh, took hold of the axe, lined it up, and brought it down onto the, uh, the, the edge of this, this round. And then it split into five pieces with one stroke. And this feeling of intense satisfaction. Yes! <laughs> Not only did I manage to split the, split the round, but it went into five pieces with one stroke. So, and I could feel this kind of, this sort of, this drunk ego feeling of like, see guys, I can do it. And I, it was kind of, it was really funny, really. <laughs> it's kind of a, a, just seeing that sort of a, 
that flush of, of meanness, like, yes, look what I can do, kind of, uh, yeah, like um, the, uh, I can chop a log into five pieces with one, sh with one, uh, with one strike. Yeah. And that, uh, so that just you know, the habits can still be there, but uh, uh, what we do with, with Vipassana meditation and the development of wisdom, of insight, is we get to see it just as a, as a habit, just as a pattern. It's just like, well, look at that. Um, and what this means is, is essentially learning to not take your own habits, your own body, your own personality, personally. <laughs> As Lumpur Sumato has often said, yeah, don't don't take your life personally. That's the title of his his most recent Dhamma book, which um, is filled with with uh, wonderful uh, teachings. But the, just the title on its own, it's like just take that and <laughs> sit on that for a month. Don't take your life personally. And so I would say that's really the 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 essence of of insight meditation and development of vipassana is to learn to see this life and uh, the, uh, the, the things that we, we feel that we are, the things that we feel that we own, and just to, to see those, those patterns uh, and to not take them personally. We don't have to suppress them or pretend they're not there and they're not going to go away just in a finger snap, but uh, we, can, we can learn to not take them personally. So if, if there's sort of strong ego, uh, ego-centered tendencies that uh, when something goes, goes badly, like falling off, of, uh, off the scaffolding because you've done something extraordinarily stupid, <laughs> uh, or whether you do something that's, that's pleasing, like, like breaking a log into five pieces with one, with one blow of, the, uh, of an axe, then just seeing that, oh, look at that pattern, look at that habit. It's like, it's like that, it's that shape, it's that that form, here's the cause, here's the effect. It's not a person, it doesn't belong to a person. It's just this pattern in nature, just like uh, the, the shape of, of a leaf or the, you know, the, the form of, a, of a, a flower made of, of, of wax or these kind of beautiful decorative um, uh, wax pineapples or uh, these kind of, uh, uh, say, the shapes that, that uh, are, are formed now, either naturally or by human hands or... It's just uh, this particular pattern, this particular form, this particular configuration. That's all. No, no more, no less. Nothing that has to be burdensome, nothing that has to be limiting, nothing that has to be identified with at all. So uh, I feel when coming together to celebrate the katina, to celebrate the, the um, relationship between the lay community and the monastic community, Helping each other along on this this path, I would say one of the key things that we're all coming together to celebrate is uh, is that uh, the uh, the uh, the importance of the Dhamma teachings in our lives and how how much of a difference it makes when uh, we don't take these lives personally. We uh, we see things in a different way, and that that shift from seeing things in terms of self-view, I and me and mine, to seeing things in terms of Dhamma, of nature. That's the, the change of view. I'd say that's really what is the essence of stream entry, of entering the stream of Dhamma, is uh, training the heart to see things from, from with, the dhamma, with the eye of Dhamma rather than the eye of, of self, the eye of I, me and mine. Oh, mysteriously, 
uh, one of the aspects of not taking your life personally is that um, uh, again everyone's experience is going to be it's going to be different and that the things that the mind attaches to is going to be different but one of the the things that that is uh, revealed from uh, in most cases as the mind sees things in a less personalized way is that it's recognized that uh, that we live in a relational state when you when you realize more and more when you say i did this or i did that or you know oh, oh you know i did this it was a terrible mistake or i did that it was a great success that it becomes more and more ridiculous or absurd because when we say I did or I have, then you realize, well, not really. Uh, uh, like com coming back to to, um, to uh, visit uh, Abhayagiri, and I was one of the, the people uh, helping to, to start this place uh, 27 years ago, uh, 1996, we uh, opened the place up. And... Uh, uh, then someone might say to me, "Oh, you must be really, you must be really proud of, uh, of what's what's become of your place." And they think, well, uh, yes, but it's not really my place. <laughs> it's like that uh, when you say, you know, you were the you you were the founder of this place. It's like, well, it was kind of a group effort. <laughs> you could take it personally. You could say, "I did that," but it, the the more the mind uh, sees things in in terms of Dhamma, the more that sense of I did this or I did that either as a failure or a problem or as a, as a success or somewhere in between the two that it becomes more and more obvious as, as ridiculous uh, something ridiculous and um, uh, we, we don't do things alone it's, this is a, life is a relational process uh, the idea of independence in terms of of uh, you know, of being an individual is is absurd. You know, if we cut off the air supply, <laughs> you know, we, if we don't have any oxygen, then our life is over. We uh, the food that we eat, where, where is it coming from? The 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 earth and the many plants and animals and beings and the the living system of the earth is what provides our our food, what provides the nourishment for for these bodies. So that the, that recognition, uh, as we let go of self-view, uh, that it, this is a relational process. Practice of Dhamma is is a is a uh, dependent on uh, uh, that say uh, or recognition uh, of the involvement of other beings, other lives, and being part of a, a living system, and that. The, the way that we uh, we help each other and that we are related to each other is uh, becomes more and more obvious more and more significant so i feel it, it's it's a uh, very um significant that the the lord buddha established the sangha as a, a community a, a like-minded spiritual community uh, the fourfold assembly to of nuns and monks lay uh, lay, lay men lay women to uh, to help each other, to support each other, to in recognition of, of that sort of relational nature of Dhamma practice, and that um, that sense of of uh, working together, supporting each other, is another of the things that 
that the Katina Festival celebrates, the, the symbiotic uh, relationship, the, the, uh, the connected relationship between the lay community and the monastic community, and the, uh, the radical importance of, of spiritual friendship, that uh, you know, we, uh, we need each other, we depend on each other, and, that, uh, and we flourish by being helped by others and, all by, and also by, by helping others. One of, one of the, uh, the, the, there's many aspects to this, but one of the things I was reflecting on today is how when the Buddha established the Sangha, it's very much a, a meritocracy, you know, that uh, it's, it, uh, there's no, uh, people don't get special treatment, so that the, the robes that the Buddha wore was the same as the, uh, as the, the uh, most ju- uh, junior people uh, uh, in the Sangha would wear. Um, Though people didn't get special positions or special favors, even if you were kind of named as the most, uh, you know, Sariputta is named as the one who has uh, had the greatest wisdom, or Mahamogalana the greatest psychic powers, or or um, uh, Sister Kema uh, as the one who had the greatest wisdom amongst the the nuns community. They didn't give any special privileges. They didn't <laughs> necessarily get the uh, a kind of uh, as a special uh, advantages. Uh, also, it's kind of it's interesting to me that in the the stories of the Buddha's life, um, uh, the Buddha's son Rahula, uh, uh, very shortly after his enlightenment, uh, he basically he seems to vanish from the from all reference in the in the Tipitaka. There's a story of uh, Rahula realizing enlightenment, but. I, I don't know if there's a single sutta, a single Dhamma talk in the whole of the Tipitaka given by Rahula. And it seems, uh, and uh, as I understand it, that uh, uh, once he'd reached uh, Arahantship, he, uh, the, the stories I've heard is that he took himself off to go and live in a remote region. He didn't want to take any advantage out of being the Buddha's son. He didn't want to have any kind of special status or be seen in any kind of special way. So he sort of took himself out of the picture. So maybe I'm wrong, but I don't. I don't, don't think there's a single teaching in the whole of the Pali Canon by the Arahant Rahula. It's like he completed his his work as a, as a monk and then and disappeared because of not wanting to be anyone special or uh, or kind of you know, having any status just by having the the blood relationship with with the Buddha. Similarly, Anya Kandanya, the one who was the, the first of the of the Buddha's disciples to realize stream entry and, and, and the first one who became a bhikkhu disciple of the, of the Buddha. Similarly, it seems that uh, shortly after his enlightenment, he, he also took off and, and went to live in a remote region. There's a, there's a very sweet uh, teaching uh, uh, where, uh, where Anya Kandanya returns after many, having been away for many years. And he says to the Buddha, do you remember me? <laughs> And uh, you know the Buddha says, you know, of course I do. You know, and that, uh, and as, and then Anya Kandanya is uh, sort of uh, overwhelmed with emotion as he meet, reconnects with the Buddha and kind of bows at his feet and is sort of crying and holding the Buddha's feet. And the Buddha just lets him have a good cry. And, <laughs> and uh, but he'd been away for many many years. But again, didn't want to claim any kind of special status as the Buddha's first disciple. Like you know, I was the first one, and that. Uh, but rather took himself off to live in a remote region, and then after it seems like uh, you know uh, over a dozen years, 
he's uh, away a long time and then and then returns and to the point where he'd ask the Buddha if the Buddha the Buddha remembered him. <laughs> so that kind of uh, not wanting to be special, not giving any kind of um, unique status to to anybody in any uh, any way, and and also how uh, the Buddha's charioteer Chana of at the other end of the scale was keen for everyone to know. You know, I was his charioteer when he was a prince. You know, I'm I'm a special monk. And right at the end of the Buddha's life, just before the parinibbana, he um, he because uh, Chana was kind of incorrigible on this, or sort of trying to seemingly uh, kind of reading the 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 teachings and 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 between the lines of the teachings that Chana was determined to be someone special. The Buddha thought this guy's incorrigible. <laughs> So right before the Parinibbana, the Buddha said, you have to, to, um, to uh, give, uh, give the bhikkhu chana, the Brahma Danda, the supreme punishment. He used to be put into, uh, what they say, put into Coventry. No one's to speak to him. Kind of, uh, he has to go into a state of ostracism. And uh, Chana is so shocked that the master would do this just before his final passing away, that singled out for a special scolding. Just before he passed, just before the the final passing away, that finally the message got through to Chana, and he was able to kind of drop his conceit and wanting to be someone special, seemingly. So I do feel that um, that evenness, and that message of, of equality, is extraordinarily important in the, what the Buddha was establishing, and that sense of of. Uh, yeah, uh, no one gets special treatment. Everyone is uh, equally important. Everyone is equally worthy of respect. Uh, no one gets a special deal. <laughs> but uh, I, I feel that 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 uh, evenness, uh, that lack of bias or preference, is is a, a beautiful and wonderful thing that uh, the the Buddha established in his way of um, say. Uh, setting up the the, the sangha and uh, the, his uh, establishing his teaching in the world and it's a very good example for us in in community life uh, both in the monastery also in the in family life in the workplace that uh, every we treat everyone with equal respect we are not uh, so acting out of out of bias or favoritism uh, just because you happen to like someone or they're easier to get along with uh, so then you want to give them some special favors or someone is difficult or as uh, a challenge to get along with you that you don't want to kind of make things more difficult or or, or hard for them but rather say well whether i like this person or not i should relate to them in a respectful kind and and uh, unbiased way and that is a, a great source of harmony in in the monastery in the family in, in the workplace and I, I feel that's something that uh, uh, my own, uh, I feel very, very grateful for in in my own family that uh, my parents were very, very kind of clear on that. Like, no favoritism between the the. I have two sisters. The, between the three of us, it was fair shares for all. No one got any special special favors. And even though, uh, seemingly from hearing through the grapevine, <laughs> that uh, uh, some of us as children were easier to work with and deal with than others. <laughs> Uh, pe- my parents were absolutely uh, unbiased. It was completely fair shares for all. Everyone had uh, uh, equal treatment, and uh, and that was uh, uh, made for very very good relations within the family. I feel a very very good example. And uh, it's it's you, you can't make yourself uh, 
have a uh, say uh, a um, um, you can't just decide to have a mind that uh, that likes likes everybody in the same way, but you can have the attitude of kindness, of fairness, of, of evenness. So even if someone's really difficult to get along with, hard to understand, and, and really challenging, still, without being um, hypocritical or without being you know, uh, sort of suppressive in, of your own emotions, you can recognize. Well, this monk is really hard to get along with, but he is sincere, he's committed, and I'll uh, do the best I can to, to make space for, for this person and to be uh, respectful and kind and supportive. And another person is really easy to get along with, you understand each other really well, you have a very easy, friendly, happy time together, and say, well, okay, it's so nice, so easy to be with this person, but that doesn't mean I should be uh, giving them extra favors or, or, uh, or making, uh, uh, say, uh, special gestures towards them. No, just, uh, just because I happen to like someone doesn't mean to say I should um, you know, inflate them or, or to, to um, give them uh, any kind of special uh, 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 say, favors or to, to give them any special advantage. And the result of that kind of evenness, fairness, uh, I feel is, is something that bears great fruit in the family, in the workplace, in the monastery. Uh, it creates a, a very, very fertile environment. And we, we, can say, we can say the words harmony, we can say the words living in concord, <laughs> but you can't just sort of decide to be harmonious just as a, by remembering the word or having the, the idea. But it takes that kind of, uh, say, resolution in, uh, in working with one's own attitude to to not, uh, say, play favorites, not to, to uh, say, be drawn by that those habits of favoritism, of, of bias, but to have a profound quality of respect uh, and evenness for, for all beings and part of letting go of self and letting go of self-view and seeing things in terms of Dhamma, then that quality of, of freedom from bias, the agati, that is, that's something that, that comes from that and is a very, uh, very powerful force uh, for, for concord and f to make a, a fertile environment for Dhamma practice for, for a wide, wide range of, of people. And I feel this is one of the great characteristics of our teacher, Lumpur Cha, was uh, extraordinarily accommodating <laughs> and, and un, unbiased in his, uh, in his manner, his ability to, to be available and open to, supportive to a vast range of different personalities was a very uh, striking quality of... Uh, and also, I think, why these branch monasteries of his have spread all over the world. And there's more than 350, I think, in, the, in Thailand and the, and the far, and uh, another 30 or 40 around the world. It's uh, part of that fertility of Lumpur Cha's teaching and this, this Dhamma family is that profoundly unbiased and... Uh, uh, and uh, open-hearted way of relating, making a, an environment that everyone feels they belong, they have value, 
and that they, irrespective of their their personality, their character, whether they're, whether they're quiet or loud, whether they are uh, they are um, scattered or focused, you know, there's a a place for everyone. Everyone belongs. I also like to express my appreciation for the wonderful uh, work. Speaking, speaking of working together and. Uh, and communal support, communal, uh, say, uh, harmonious activity. It's uh, delightful to see everything coming together in such a lovely way with uh, people um, making uh, uh, blessing cords in great piles and beautiful colors and uh, these lovely flower arrangements and these glorious uh, beeswax pineapple arrangements. I'm not quite sure what these things are, but... Uh, <laughs> Some kind of lotus bud slash pineapple uh, arrangements that uh, beautiful devotional offerings uh, come together here in the Dhamma Hall and uh, all around uh, the monastery. It's uh, very lovely to see everything coming together and uh, it's a manifestation of that spirit of concord working together and uh, everyone lending a hand. That um, It comes into visible, tangible form in a very striking and inspiring way at this, uh, this kind of time. But... Uh, I feel that um, establishing the, the qualities in the heart that are the source, a genuine source of such um, uh, concord, that the capacity to work together, the qualities of the heart, this, this is the most uh, uh, say significant and important thing. And that the Katina time is an opportunity to celebrate the fact that we can live together, we can work together, we can collaborate and and support each other, and then the result of that collaboration and supportiveness of of working together is a, a strengthening of of kalyanamitta and uh, that spiritual friendship that is a source of such great goodness in in our lives and in the world. So, I offer these words for consideration this evening. <laughs>